is good. Maybe they should tell. Ooh. No. Don't use your sultry voice. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't even gotten into the podcast yet. You can't use your sultry voice. I'm going to podcast this whole episode. Oh. Super sultry. Because we're talking about technology. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's late at night. Hello there. We're going to get a little intimate. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. I can't. Okay. Yeah. can't maintain. Mm. I can. Mm. Turn turn the air down. Yeah. You have your AC running? I don't think so. I had to turn on my AC. It was it was hot up here. It was like seventy eight degrees. Oh, I can't I'm, live in seventy eight degrees. I'm I'm sweating. Yeah, I know. Uh, what you got? And Is I'm drinking tea? hot tea. Yeah. No. Have you learned nothing? Well, I'm, I guess I am, you did. You slippery Elmabach. That I'm time. back to the slippery Elmabach. Okay. And the licorice root. I'm back to the Van Rouge. I'm taking care of my pipes tonight. I know. <clears throat> Gotta, well, you sounded sultry. Got to wet my instrument. Oof. I like it. Shall we get in and talk about technology for our delightful listeners? Yeah, man. You're up at bat today. I am up at bat. Swing it. Hello, and welcome to Backers, a fortnightly podcast where we explore the most compelling campaigns in a category on Kickstarter and each pick a campaign to back. We are your hosts, Brian Dupuis and Chris Rump, and this week we are talking about what we back in the technology Category. How you doing, buddy? I'm back on form, Brian. You are? You're no longer sick. Oh, just kind of reflecting on all the events over the last two weeks since the last yeah. time we recorded. Yeah. You know, I was a little under the weather. It got yep. a little bit worse from there. Just cold. Not the flu. Not the dreaded flu. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, we've you both... know, what I'm really glad for tonight is that I'm not on that uh, Sudafed. Because last episode, I had to get on that Mariah's got to sing tonight stuff. Yeah. Did you clear take Sudafed? Up. I did. I had to clear those sinuses, so I what wasn't did just hacking and coughing. I, sl- I did not sleep. See? You have my malady. It's not good. A Sudafed. I don't know what they were thinking. That is devil medicine. It dry is... mouth? Oh, I don't get dry mouth. Oh. Did we already talk about this? No. I get. I get the weird twilight sleep. Like... I take Sudafed. If I take Sudafed anytime after noon, my sleep just hang it up. I, it's like I dream that I'm sleeping, or or I daydream that I'm sleeping. I'm laying there in a stupor, basically, not sleeping but not quite awake, and just watching the night pass me by. Oh, it's just the worst. I hate Sudafed. That's no. the way I feel when I watch Hulu, with all the. <laughs> All the buffering and stuttering, I swear, the other night. What a disaster of a service. And I woke up in this night terror slash sleep paralysis where I just kept, I was trying to force myself to wake up from this dream. And then I would like buffer and reset back about five seconds where I was still in bed. Then I was panicked and I would leap out of my bed and then I would realize I was still asleep and I would panic and I would buffer and reset and I just Hulu <laughs> I can't believe anybody pays for that service. What a disaster. We were on the endorsement. <laughs> we are on the whatever, the thirty day one month free trial Whoa. so we can get the Olympics right now. And 
it's almost just not worth even trialing. What? Mm. My good God. Oh, it, Hulu causes sleep paralysis and night terrors. <laughs> That's my my review of the service. Do not subscribe. It's so, yeah, funny. I had. I forget why Hulu popped up in my news feed, but it did for exactly that. Oh, I think like uh, didn't. Uh, so it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Went there, and now right. they're also getting Archer. All of like Fox is moving their stuff there, and people are losing their minds or something. And people are like, "But how do you actually watch things on Hulu? It's unusable. <laughs> it's like terrible." Right. Interesting. See, I've never tried it. I uh uh-uh. uh I don't I don't uh cotton to watching a service where I pay money and then watch additional ads oh. with buffering and terrible searching and categorization. I mean allegedly even if you pay for the tier where you don't get yeah. commercials, you still get just less commercials. It's oh, really sure. like the, yeah. the full commercials and less commercial tier. Hmm. That's crazy pants to me yeah i I just don't understand how they're a service no but uh, that's not crowdfunding (laughs) it's not (laughs) it's not not kickstarter maybe they should go on kickstarter (laughs) try and raise around try to raise some money so mm -hmm. they can improve their service Mm. Yeah. yeah so is it time to go to the reward zone. <laughs> I really like the way that plays out. I like the way you say it. I know that. I, I think uh, I kind of want it to be a thing. I think from now on that's going to be a thing. I feel it. Listeners, welcome to the reward zone. <laughs> I, you know who? Okay, you know who it reminds me of now. Now that I think about it, uh, the character in Star Wars. That Ray has to go to to sell the stuff to that oh. wants to offer her like a quarter share. Uh, I'm trying one to summon that dude's name. But yes, one Simon Pegg portion. played him, right? Yeah, yeah, portion well, one quarter portion. I'm trying to really dig dig down deep in the nerdum. It's Unkar Plut or something Mother like of that. God, you have to be joking me. <laughs> you do not know the name of that well, character. Uh, we'll fact check that later. Oh. <laughs> you want to fact check it right now? Let's. I was just impressed that see. I can remember the voice. I can't. No, you're not right. What did you say before yeah. you look it up? Simon, what did you say? Unkar Plut. Unkar Plut. Okay. Simon yeah. Pegg. Star Wars. You're see looking it. it up. Oh, I thought you were gonna like. No, I'm not. Double confirm this. Yeah, I'm right. I don't. I mean, that's his name. I I, I feel really ashamed right now. <laughs> I don't even know don't how I know feel this ashamed. Stuff. This is you all have a good child. For. You've procreated. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I did. You've reached levels that most people of that nerddom have have never seen. So don't be too ashamed. But that's that's a powerful level of nerddom. Mm-hmm. You, I'm sing it, boy. Blushing. Just live it. That's, <laughs> I can't cu- believe you know his this name. Is, this is all, all getting cut out, right? To know. No, this stays in. I don't care if we drop what we backed. <laughs> this stays in the show. <laughs> the secret's out. The cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's go to the, the reward zone. The reward zone. 
this is the area where we get to talk about the stuff that we got because that's one of the positives of our particular brand of podcast is that given that we back stuff every once in a while, by God's grace, they actually ship us things. Chris, what did you get? So I actually received uh, the True Revo, True Revo hmm? sports shorts that were billed as the world's best running short. Mm. If you recall, they had that nifty little two-in-one design. They had the, right. the inner, what do you call it, a tight compression short sort of thing yeah, with the, yeah, yeah. the short on top. And then their innovation was that through the pocket of the shorts, you could reach into this inner pocket on the compression tights and insert like a cell phone there or other things, you might know, keys or, you know, right. whatever so you might want to carry. So it's yeah. in place and doesn't jostle around while you run. Right. How did um, that work out for you? I received it. Yep. I wasn't really able to vet the the quality necessarily because okay. I wasn't able to take it out for a jog. What what I received All right. was like a skirt. It was like a half muumu from the waist down. <laughs> it was just unreasonably large on me. And <laughs> I mean I stressed over filling out the pledge manager because they yeah. gave a sizing chart. Yep. And I did the whole thing where you get a fabric measuring tape. Oh, wow. Measured myself. and You did your due diligence. Yeah, and like measured it against the chart. And it kept coming up that I was supposed to be squarely almost in the middle of their medium range. I'm not a big fella. Everything I own is pretty much small size. Right. The alarm bells were just ringing. I had reached out to them for a little clarification even before, but the pledge was coming to the end and I hadn't heard back. And a lot of times when you're ordering things like outside of the United States, their sizing uh, is maybe sometimes more reasonable than, than what we <laughs> see here. Than, what are you have saying, a, Chris? Not all the vanity sizing that we get. And I've seen this a lot of times ordering cycling gear, especially from, from Europe, where uh, a medium fits me just fine. So I thought these coming from overseas, maybe a medium was the right thing. Apparently, not at all. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Even if, even to the point that I I was like, well, maybe this would make a great gift for Brian. Maybe right. it's salvageable. And so what did you do, Chris? Well, I passed them to you. You did. And uh, <laughs> we broke it out of the packaging and looked at this uh, roughly sale-sized <laughs> pair of shorts that wouldn't have been out of place as a spinnaker on a, <laughs> on a good-sized sailboat. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give this... I'll try to give this a spin. Um, and so I, I was due for a run that day, and I, I brought them into the to the restroom to change into them, and I kept my undies on because I didn't want to, you know, didn't want there to be any uncomfortable contact or anything, and put them on. And, yeah, they were big for me. So how tall are you? 5'7". Yeah. So I'm 6'2". They were still big on me. Like... The compression shorts, if I had put a phone in the little special pocket to be held comfortably against me, they would have just flopped around and banged against my privates the entire run. They were insanely huge. I, mean, I don't know like what a, they think Americans <laughs> look like for a medium, but my lord. That inner tight on me looked like a cartoon drawing of some old granny and like 30-year-old <laughs> pantyhose. They were just... 
Yeah. Uh, let's just say not compressive. So uh, they offered uh, to, to to trade them in with you, right? They did. They So I reached out and was just like, um, this sizing is totally whack. And then just wanted to see about, could I do an exchange or uh, not a refund? I just wanted an exchange maybe. Sure. And to their credit, their customer service was really fast and really responsive. And they said that they would be totally up for replacing the product, um, that all I would need to do is pay for shipping. <laughs> since the shipping comes from India, mm. that's about 15 bucks. Yeah. At the end, I just decided to stay settled with what I have because, you know, most of the time the running shorts that I use are just like some cheap Russell I got from Walmart Right. that, that probably cost around $12, and I know they fit. <laughs> yeah, and if they don't, yeah. So here, going back, another pair, right? Even if they're terrible quality, I mean, you can just kind of use them like paper towels (laughs) if they're coming from Walmart. So, right, I just didn't really want a chance. I mean, I was even starting to stress out about, gosh, if I do a replacement, do I even go all the way down to the extra small? Mm Hmm. Yeah, that would be an extra kick in the jimmies, right? You order the small, it comes in, and it's still. Twice the size of God. <laughs> you got to go with the extra small. Now you're in $28 worth of shipping. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, sorry, great, great, to their credit, they I think they did the right thing and offered a replacement. But, sure. Um, yeah, they're in a tough position too, right? But then again. Yeah, absolutely. So the they delivered on time. They delivered a product. Amazon. Their customer service was good. It's just that the product overall... Um, didn't, wasn't really a good fit for me. So those are the trials and travails of ordering a fashion, a piece of clothing mm-hmm. off of Kickstarter. So that's my follow-up. I think that's the only follow-up I really have from right now from all the rest of the, the things that we've been through so far. Yeah. Um, at least stuff we haven't covered so far. Brian, have you had anything I did. that you can mention here in the reward zone? I forgot to mention it. So for... For my place in the reward zone is, um, <laughs> why is it so fun to say? It's going off the rails. Uh, I got my fajita butler. Uh, it, it was supposed to be here by Christmas, and by God, those people delivered. Uh, it was very well packaged. It showed up kind of as a surprise, and I opened it and took a look at it, and by God, it's a, it's actually manufactured well, and I think it would serve its purpose well. Um, I haven't tried it primarily because I really think I'm going to re-gift it to someone just because, you know, whenever we talked about the food category and I talked about this, I, I imagine using it maybe in QB whenever we're out. Uh, that's our RV. Whenever we're out RVing somewhere, maybe having fajitas and using this as a serving uh, option for fajitas while we're out in QB or even here, my Biggest problem is, especially in QB, storing a whole bunch of squidgy serving things when space is at a premium is just not the best idea. Mm-hmm. So, and and with the whole kitchen redo that we did here, spaces are, we've got all kinds of little weird serving things all over the place. And I just think one additional one. It, no matter how well made, no matter how compact and packable it is, it was just like, I think I can find a worthy recipient for this rather than try to 
try to pack it up. So no offense to Brian Butler and the Fajita Butler folk, but uh, I will be regifting this. I'm sure it will find a lovely home sometime. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna save it. So well, that is it update. for the reward zone. Now we go to the random crowdfunding <laughs> zone. <laughs> This is staying. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Unless we get twi- tweets that people Good hate feedback. it. We hate the you guys so much. The zone yeah. is now here. Well, I've got all sorts of things I want to talk about this week. Yep. I think almost everything except our category at hand. <laughs> um, Do it. So let's dive right in because yeah. I saw this interesting article or press release about Hasbro yeah. and Hasbro, the toy maker, they announced that they're getting into the crowdfunding scene this with something nuts. they call HasLab. So basically, this is a concept that's going to operate like Kickstarter. Yep. And the idea is that this portal, this HasLab, is going to give limited access to certain toy ideas that would be just way too costly for mainstream production. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Kickstarter. Right. So leading off with <laughs> HasLab, their first project that they are putting out there to see if they can generate interest is the vintage collection Jabba's Sail Barge, the Katana. And there's a piece of Star Wars trivia I did not know, Brian. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, Java's sail barge from Return of the Jedi. And they're touting this as the largest Hasbro Star Wars project that's ever been created. It's, it's ludicrous to me. The thing's massive. In a, in a, in a good way. Oh, the, the length of this thing is over 49 inches. Like that's over four feet long. And it's totally, the whole thing is yep. three and three quarters scale. So that's your Star Wars action figures. With and it comes with a Jabba figure included. That's this thing's just bananas. Yeah, fourteen pounds worth of toy. Yeah, fourteen pounds. How much is that fourteen pound, four foot long toy going to cost you, Chris? Yeah. So, okay, well, I was looking. I had okay. So the it's, it's essentially the same rules as Kickstarter. Yep. They're trying to. They have a goal that has to be met. Yep. All or nothing. So they either meet their pledge goal, or if they don't, then the backers are not charged. And I did notice one thing about this project. It's interesting that they're not trying to hit a dollar goal, but they're trying to reach a number of backers goal. Hmm. I mean, it's a a nuance. The math is easy. It's trying to raise $2.5 million with 5,000 backers at $500 a piece for this toy. Before April 13th. Yes. 40 yeah. days to go. No, April 3rd. Is it 13th? 13th, I see. Okay, April 13th. But yeah, they're currently at 1,729 backers of their 5,000 backer goal. So, Brian, where where do you put yours? <laughs> uh, kitchen table, I think. I mean, you, this is something you want to feature, right? You have to. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're dropping $500 on something that's four feet long, it's got to have a prominent place in your house. Man. I could actually see, like, it hanging, right? Because, I mean, that thing floats, so you just hang it up. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can, if you can get anchor screws that'll hold up your 17 pound toy, maybe. But well, I think the only rational thing you can do is build a sarlacc pit underneath it. <laughs> yeah, because you want the full playset. It's incredible to me. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that I, I picture being appropriate for crowdfunding. Could they have done this uh, totally in uh, Kickstarter instead of creating their own HasLab? Likely. Do they get more of the cut if they do it themselves? And they obviously have the foundation and technology to do it. Why not, right? Yeah. And the absolutely. backing. I mean, it's Hasbro. The people that are going to buy this will know that name. So it's not like they need the street cred of Kickstarter to help them with authenticity and and uh, a certainty that they like let's say all these people give them five hundred dollars there's no doubt that they will follow through right yeah right so yeah um <laughs> it's it's got a lot of chutzpah i'll give them that yeah so that's about all i really had about had to say about that i just thought that's it was good. interesting an interesting entry from a large named company that's going to take crowdfunding into their own hands. It is. So pretty cool. What else is in the random crowdfunding zone? The other thing I wanted to talk about was this Kickstarter project called Strongholds and Streaming. You're so hyphy on this. <laughs> this is one I am hyphy about because this is, well, this is one that I've been following since the day it launched. Okay. And I think before I even talk about the goals, I'll just tell you, what it is. Please do. So it's a campaign for a hardcover book or a PDF, if that floats your boat, for fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, which extends the game and basically allows your high level player characters that have accumulated all this wealth and renown in the game. Mm. It gives them a way to spend that to extend their influence, like in the local area within their game. Right. So in Matt Coville's own words, who's the project creator, there's more to the game than fighting monsters, build a stronghold, mm. and influence the world. So what's a typical problem in D&D that this solves? So I guess the big question is, like, why would you even build a castle? There's all these rules, or not rules, but like charts where you can buy expensive things, like even buy your way up to a castle. But why would you do that? And so that's the point that this book is an- is answering, that they're going to introduce this new style of play and grant your character more options and more things to do in the game than just continue to bash in the dungeon door and slay everything in there and loot everything, right? It, right. it starts to get into more of like this political realm of your character has a- accumulated this wealth. Now what do you do with it? Well, you build a stronghold. Well, what does that mean? So he's writing all these rules around that, and it's going to open all these new, uh, new avenues of play. That's interesting. I'm not a D&D player, but I've been listening to the, the D&D podcast and I'm following along with the types of play that they're doing, which is the, the typical dungeon crawler type of stuff, you know, roll for initiative, beat the hell out of people, uh, try to find creative solutions to problems. But I liked, I'm, I'm interested to understand and know how they turn this type of mechanic into an enjoyable game experience i i'm sure it's possible i i find it very interesting a different dimension like you said to what do you do after you have these really powerful characters that you know 
you don't just necessarily want to go and turn the undead anymore. Right. Well, there's all these different ideas he has about building these strongholds. And what does that mean when your characters have a base of operations? And the idea isn't that your characters stop adventuring. It just adds this new dimension that when you do continue to go out and adventure, you have maybe envoys or emissaries that you need to communicate with or messages you need to get back to the kingdom. And I think it opens all these new story arcs potentially mm-hmm. that could be really, really interesting. Um, and then there are like ideas about research labs that you could build in your wizard tower. So that gives you an opportunity to use things like when you go out there and slay the the dragon, maybe you can take its magical heart back and use it in <laughs> some sort of ritual and all this kind of stuff. So he's he's building in all these concepts and has this really great set of rules that's that's built around it. Um, so it just sounds really interesting. And so Matt Colville, the reason I found this too was I know him from subscribing to his YouTube channel, where he's been talking for, I mean, a long, long time about how to improve your DM chops, mm, how, you know, right. how to how to better play the game, and he also does movie reviews and that sort of thing too. He's also a writer. Um, and he works as a writer and a designer for a game company that escapes my mind at the moment. But, um, you know, so he's been out there building this community over time and he's put this project together and I think he's been really conscientious about how he's presenting it, how he's running the campaign. Like I said, he's put out like, like lots of these rule samples and he really wants this book to be really high production value and I think just at the end of the day, he wants his backers to be super satisfied. So he's just not advertising this false bill of goods with, you know, ridiculous pledge levels and everything. He's pretty much like, here's the book. Here's my idea. And um, I, I don't know. Just I think it's a really well-run campaign. And mm-hmm. what's great, I don't know if you've watched any of his other videos. I have um, not. But he's giving constant updates. And I love that you can see the terror like behind his eyes about the <laughs> magnitude of success that's starting to weigh on him because so oh, we, yeah. I didn't yeah I mentioned the, the goals his goal was fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for this project he didn't know if they would even make that and it was immediately hit I think the first day it launched on like a Friday and he posted the fo- first update and was like um so this is a thing right like he did this live broadcast on YouTube and was kind of like um I've got to go to work in a minute but this is ridiculous. And it's just been growing and growing and growing. The campaign closes on March 11th, which is still over two weeks away. Right now, they're at $1,372,465 with 17,239 backers. Those are crazy pants numbers. They are. So this kind of feel simultaneously amazing and absolutely terrifying. Yeah. You know? (laughs) That's why I love his update videos. He's just like... Um, so nothing makes sense to me anymore. <laughs> he's just, he's just like, I don't know what's happening. He, I think we're witnessing the birth of a new company here. Wow. Um, but oh, good for him, man. But you know, he's terrified because there's just this pressure now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he really feels like he's now working for these backers that are excited about what he's bringing to, to the world. Yeah. I love the update one. Today, day one was pretty incredible. We met our funding goal in like 34 minutes. Right. $50,000 in 34 minutes. Met all their goals in four hours and stand at 600K. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they went from not even knowing if they would hit the 50K yeah. to, to make so the 34 book. minutes later. <laughs> to like, um, they've incredible. now become the, the most funded project of its type, which is uh, like 
RPG books in the tabletop role playing subcategory. Yeah. So good for them. For our listeners interested in this one, it closes on Sunday, March 11th. So you've still got some time if you want to jump in on this. And we will, of course, post the link in the show notes. But you've got a little over two weeks by the time this episode comes out. So, yeah, good one, man. I'm excited about it. I think it's, yeah. it's cool. I believe that's it for the random crowdfunding zone. Okay. Why don't you talk about your uh, some some mentionable things you found? The mentionable zone. <laughs> In the mentionable zone. Yeah. So, technology category. Uh, welcome back to vacuum tube clocks. I'm not sure what the thing is with people creating vacuum tube clocks. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I've never been into the uh, Arduino scene or any of the types of things. Is that... Maybe that's like the beginner's project for that everyone starts with is, hey, I got an idea. Let's make a vacuum tube clock. And now everybody and his brother wants to make a vacuum tube clock. And admittedly, way back in the design category where the vacuum tube clocks first popped up and I was uh, tempted on a couple of occasions. There were a few of them that were attractive. And even in this one, there's a few of them that are attractive. But it's like... How many times can you make the same thing? I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that there's all these vacuum tube clocks. <laughs> I thought of uh, you when I saw that one, the fluorescence. Yeah, that was the one. I, yeah. I like it. I'm still compelled, but it's like I feel like it's getting played out. But the one I actually wanted to talk about, at my first mention- mentionable pick was the open, and I'm going to d- pronounce this. I don't know if it's even pronounceable. The open desky, desky. Yeah, that's the, how I read it, too. Sky, desky. Uh, the Open Desky Apollo 50th Anniversary, and this is a Make 100 project. Uh, the Make 100 project, if, if uh, you don't recall from our previous episodes, what was that? Photography, right? Mm-hmm. The Make 100 photographies. These are special types of projects where the creators of the project promise to produce one level that are limited edition, only 100 of them. And this one is... A replica of an art. Uh, okay, the tagline is an open source Arduino-based replica of an out-of-this-world computer, which is the ones that were used during the Apollo era to control the navigation system in the Apollo spacecraft. They look great. I. They look really. Uh, believable and they really capture the type of feel of the original Apollo spacecraft and their campaign video. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that, Chris, it was, it was pretty well done because they found a lot of footage showing them actually using the desky computer in the spacecraft Mm -hmm. and then uh, inserting pictures of their replica in there as well. They're very, accurate and true to the feel of the original computer. And I thought that was really neat and special. One of the things that I thought was very interesting, they, as part of this interface for this computer, they needed a plus or minus LED. A really simple thing, right? A plus or minus LED. Three segments. They literally don't exist. They could not source a three-segment LED from anywhere on this planet that would 
fit into their application. They found one made in Israel that was not the right form factor, couldn't make it work, and that was literally the only one on the entire planet where they could purchase a pre-made three-segment LED for a plus or minus display. So they had to custom 3D print their own custom LED to to make this project a reality. I just... The, That's bonkers. Isn't it bonkers? It wasn't that long ago, and now you literally can't buy them anywhere in the world. Uh, so I, these guys were very passionate about what, what they're doing. Uh, it's a really neat project. Uh, the primary reason I didn't back this, it wasn't the price. It wasn't anything like that. Uh, it was, I almost feel like I would have preferred more of a replica than this is. Mm. I don't know if you took a close look at what kind of capabilities it has. You can actually send verbs and nouns to this computer like you could the original uh, guidance computer. But what they did was they, without an actual spaceship to command, there wasn't a whole lot it, it could do. What I would like to see, though, is like an emulated spaceship sure right instead what they did was they made it so that for instance it can play mp3s and it can you know all these kind of madcap things that the real one clearly couldn't do (laughs) the technologies that didn't even exist at the time this thing existed right uh it's got it's got a gps receiver in it it's got a very accurate clock a gyroscope all that's great but potato peeler (laughs) right so i i i was kind of because when i first saw it i was like wow a real accurate emulation of a of an honest to god apollo era guidance computer right i thought that was just fantastic um but after looking at it some more knowing that they had you know approached it in that respect it kind of lost its much of its savor to me to where it was like uh okay and the so the make 100 thing is the kickstarter limited edition that is nine hundred dollars for the 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 fanciest build that they make uh and they've got 13 people that have gone in on it so far but uh i just i love their passion i love what they're trying to do i but i almost feel like they didn't take it far enough or they went a direction that that I, I I know why they did it. They're trying to produce something that actually does something. But even so, I kind of, you know what I mean? I almost wish it just were a little bit different. But they uh, did really well with their goal, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. This is knocked out of the park. Uh, The Make 100 things are not sold out, but out of a $20,000 goal, uh, they almost quadrupled it. They're sitting mm-hmm. currently at $77,000 with 172 backers. Uh, this one ends on March 3rd. So by the time this episode comes out, you'll have about a week to get in if you want to. And you can get in. It's cute because they actually sell one of the one of the backer pledge categories. Uh, you can get a keychain, which is fine. But if you pledge $25 or more, they will actually give you so that you can have a three-segment plus or minus LED 
that they custom make. You can have one of the only ones on the planet. <laughs> you can hold for, on to it, so when they go out, go out of print again, that's right. You'll be able to resell that on the black market for yep. oodles. Yep. So, mm-hmm. I I I really like this project. I, I think it's I think it's really really cool. But uh, that was my first mentionable one. Cool. Well, my first mentionable is something called the Dragonet. Hmm. This is the tennis training revolution. Yeah, it and is. unfortunately, they did not meet their funding. This oh, project no. was already closed. But I thought it was worth mentioning just because it was a cool project, and they were they had about a what was it eighty thousand euros, and they only got a quarter of the way there. Right. So I just thought this was interesting because I would have been all over this when I was younger. You were a tennis player. Yes. So I, I learned a lot. something new about my friend Chris every you day. You didn't know that. Yeah, I played a lot of tennis growing up. Um, somewhat competitively, I played on the high school team mm. up until band just completely consumed your life or my life. <laughs> that happens if you're involved with a band. It eats sure. up all your electives and all your free time, all your weekends. Um, <laughs> but certainly growing up, I just yearned for something like this because there were all those times where I would just be banging the tennis ball against the garage door and I'd have mm-hmm. my dad yelling at me to stop breaking the house, you know? <laughs> so this is a ball machine which only needs four tennis balls to function because it has a net behind it. So when okay. you hit the ball back, it goes in the net and feeds right back down into the into the ball machine. And I think beyond that, it requires only three by five meters worth of space. So it's a really compact thing you could set up you know, in a lot of small spaces and just practice your hitting. You could just hit, 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 hit. So just a really neat idea. I'm so surprised it didn't make it, honestly. I mean, I know that, you know, to get one of these things was almost 3,000 uh, euros. Right. Which is not cheap by any means, right? No. But still, it doesn't seem like it was that ridiculous of a price either for for, for what this is. I mean, I haven't priced for ball machines is. in a long, long time, but still, it just looks like a really interesting yeah. idea. It is. There was a time when I kind of lusted after a, a ping pong machine that was kind of similar to this, you know, a ping pong trainer that they, they sell. This reminds me a whole lot of that because the ping pong trainers usually only have a few balls that are required and do a similar type of thing. I like this, though. It's a. It's kind of a shame. I imagine the price was off-putting, right? I think that that had to be it, right? You just see that really high dollar sign, kind of like earlier when we've seen projects that were for the jet ski boats or those kind of yeah, things. Which I still kind of want. <laughs> I don't remember if that one even hit its goal or not. I don't either. Yeah, if you just have a really high price tag on these things, I think generating interest on Kickstarter for enough people to go in on something that's going to cost around, you know. $3,000-ish, it's, it's a tough sell. It's really hard to, to sure. do that kind of marketing, I think. Yeah. I just wanted to mention this because it's something I just know growing up I just really, really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my next one is the Nomad by Blue... I'm going to say Blue because it's a backwards E. Maybe Blue, blue 3. I'm going to say Blue. Uh, it's an ultra-portable tankless dive system. This is not, <laughs> not the, uh, wasn't there the, that terrible Kickstarter that was the, the rebreather that was oh, full of right. crap. You remember that? Yeah. That was just took people's money. Yes. This is not that. This is, uh, this is based on 
workable science. It's a floating tankless dive system that its main claim, because these things exist, and that was one of the things that one of the comments in this campaign mentioned, that this was a copy of an existing thing that is already out there. The big thing that makes this one different is it is way more compact, and the, their prototype is actually a little bigger than they want the production unit to be. And its flotation mechanism is built into the side and self-expands whenever you get out to where you want to dive instead of being always there. So it's very compact and easy to get to where you want to go dive. And then once you get there, you crank it up. It's battery powered. It lasts for a fairly long time on one battery charge and, and it will charge up fairly quickly and give you a 40 foot hose that you can then take fresh air down as long as you have battery power. It's not overly expensive. It's only about a thousand dollars, which kind of sounds a little expensive, but I think compared to the existing one and, you know, the alternative, which is a full scuba type of thing, it's pretty doggone inexpensive. I, I thought this one was really, really neat. So I admit, I, I was, was kind of gun-shy of this being another underwater dive system ruse that I didn't even really look at it. Oh, yeah. But it yeah. does look interesting. But yeah, and honestly, whenever I first saw it, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, man, is this the same company that's trying to double up and get more money <laughs> illicitly on on bullcrap uh, pseudoscience? No, it isn't. But I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, they say the runtime is 60 minutes or, or, or more. Um and it weighs about 20 pounds. So, you know, it's it's basically a backpack form factor. You backpack it to wherever you're going and bring it out there. And then it floats over you and you go and dive under it. It's got mm. a little diver down flag on top of it that floats along with you. I think it's a really neat idea. And like I said, the existing ones, very similar, just bigger, less mobile, portable. You know, getting it to where you want to dive, the the existing ones, is significantly more of a challenge than this one. So that's their kind of shtick for bringing something better to the game. And uh, I, I I think it's pretty cool. They have uh, 22 days to go. This closes on Friday, March 16th. So you'll have several days to, several weeks to get into this by the time this episode airs, but they are far short of their goal right now. They've got a $210,000 goal and they are only at $27,000 with 22 days to go. Uh, so mm, this one might be a little hard to meet its goal, but I like their concept. Yeah. It really feels like with that price tag being, you know, when you start talking about four figures, well, <laughs> to try and it's yeah, get a pleasure award. Chris, it's still but three figures for the first round backers. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true but those are limited there's still 95 out of 100 left of those right but yeah when you just start talking about those four figures i think that scares off a lot of people from oh sure you know being able to get in on something especially when you're talking about kickstarter and you don't even know if something is real and tangible correct right yeah although i will say if i lived in a place that had good snorkeling and diving i'd consider it a whole lot more than i would landlocked here in, in central north carolina where i might be able to go and you know 
what snorkel at Jordan Lake? Mm, <laughs> no, right, right. I don't. I don't want to see what I would see under there. No, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. So, what you got next? I think the other one that I saw in the technology category, Brian, was the Mycroft Mark II. Mm-hmm. I know you saw this one as well. I did. So this is a. They call it the open answer to the Amazon Echo and Google Home. Okay. And it's a open voice assistant, which is supposed to bring you the power of voice while maintaining your privacy and data independence. And the whole thrust of this thing is that it's a voice assistant that doesn't mine or sell your user data. Right? So they're building their own AI and... Yeah, I want to help you keep your privacy. That sounds really ambitious when you're going up against these, right? I don't think that AI assistants have become commoditized to the point yet where projects like this can really be on the same footing with these big players like Amazon, Google, and Apple. Sure. Um, I mean, you even see the struggles that those big companies with the huge data sets that they have um, being able to make sense of the data, deliver consistently responses that their users would expect, right? Right. So, like I said, I love the ambition of it, but man. But I guess enough other people like the ambition too because there are 2,007 backers on this project putting up now $348,000. This ends in 36 hours. So this ends on Saturday, February 24th. But... don't know this Mycroft Mark II physical, yeah, probably not out by the time. <laughs> um, but the cool thing about Mycroft is it's open source, and you can actually get this technology apparently up and running on like a Raspberry Pi. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But they're but they're marketing this, and this is their second Kickstarter, I think, or at least their second project. They've had a Mark One, so this second one is one hundred and twenty nine dollar little open source voice assistant, the Mycroft which puts it really comparably priced sure. against things like the the full-size Echo or the Google Home. Mm-hmm. It's interesting whenever you first mentioned this one to me and you brought up the fact that it's really hard to play in this market against the big data providers without the huge data sets that Google and Amazon and, and Apple have to play with. And they try to downplay it by saying that well, they're basing this off of the open data sets from Mozilla. And they're they're like, yeah, sure, they have an advantage. But, you know, we've got this big open source community and we've got a pretty good data set from Mozilla. And so it should be, you know, we can, we can create a compelling alternative. And at the same time that they're downplaying it, Mozilla is like, yeah, there's a pretty significant disadvantage to <laughs> not having an enormous amount of voice data to go by. But... Uh, It'll be interesting to see how it how it can compete in that market without the big data sets that that the big companies have. But I do like the focus on the privacy aspect. I mean, that's one of the biggest drawbacks to the type of ubiquitous listen to everything and try to interpret commands out of that is how much of that data is out there always, right? Mm-hmm. There's no... <laughs> There's no guarantee that it's going to not be stored somewhere and used. So, yeah, uh, I I think it's a 
a useful alternative to consider, you know, in light of that type of concern. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too, thing too about, you know, if they can get this working reasonably well is that they can get in talks with other companies that want their own branded voice assistants. Mm-hmm. And there may be areas where it does make sense to, I guess the thing is, we're still not at the point where any any of these voice assistants really feel like you're talking to an actual person, <laughs> no. right? Like you still feel we like we don't you have, have Scarlett to. Johansson at the other end of the That's line, right. right? You just have to feel like you. You, it's almost like you're playing a a voice activated game of Zork, where you have to learn <laughs> the right syntax, right? The keywords, yeah, yeah, and you know, that even comes down to the way you interop with Echo a lot of times with the great skills, you still have to end up just saying some really wacky things, you know, syntactically in order to get those skills to activate in the way you want. Sure. I think over time, you know, the big players are going to just make huge leaps and bounds and it will turn out. You can just talk to something where I think technologies like this, because of the data sets are going to lag behind, but it may be good enough if you're, you know, trying to control things in a car voice activated that you do happen to learn like I said, the Zork commands, and it's it's good enough at least for a while. So, anyways, it was an, it's a neat idea. Sure, it and is. I'm glad they're successful because I think we need people, you know, doing research and innovating in this area. Yeah. Well, Chris, let's enter the backed picks zone. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Shall I start us off? I think you should. Yeah. I'm. I got so excited about this one because it, it's it's based on something that is very near and dear to my heart. What I backed this time is the Soundbops Musical Building Blocks campaign. This one, when I first saw it, I I, I pretty much loved it immediately. I, I watched the campaign video and the passion of the, the inventor that created this thing was evident from moment one. And there was one point in particular where... He did something that practically rocked me back in my seat and I was just dumbfounded how wonderful and intuitive it was. So what is Soundbox Bops Music Building Box? This is a toy for children, formative type of toy that enables children to learn music early. This is a quote with an engaging, creative, and educational introduction to music. And so picture a Fisher-Price form factor type of thing because it's very well designed. They've gone through a lot of iterations. I don't know if you looked into the campaign video and saw all of his prototypes and the types of iterations Uh that he went through, but it's a small, roughly foot by six inches total, maybe a little bit bigger than that, board where there are these pegs that are there. And you have these little plastic doodads that go on to the pegs that are, each of them represent a note. So for instance, you might have a, an A and a, a B and a C and a C sharp and a D, and you can put those notes onto your pegboard and you push them and they play that note. Very simple so far, right? That's mm-hmm. That's cake. Where my mind just exploded and I laughed in glee and joy was if you stack those individual notes on top of each other, you make a chord 
that all play at the same time. You can form chords by stacking individual notes just like you can on a guitar or a piano or any other. I just saw that and it was like, this is the most brilliant mechanism for teaching about how notes work and higher and lower and putting chords together. It was just beautiful. And uh, I still think it is. They It comes with a book that shows kids how to make songs out of these notes. So if they put the, you know, put particular notes onto the board and play them in a particular way, they generate songs. Yeah. It has Bluetooth connectivity to where, and MIDI to where you can actually change your instrument to, to sound out a, a, a wind instrument or a stringed instrument. It, connects to iPads over Bluetooth so that you can do things with it. It's just the thought that went into this, I just have to tip my hat. It's wonderful. And so where I started losing, not the narrative, but where I couldn't back this at the full level, uh, I backed this at the, I, I just basically tossed a buck in to say, <laughs> I support what you're doing. Uh, I pledged five pounds to this campaign, which gets me a music book download. Hey, that's more than a buck. It is a little bit more than a buck. It's it's seven bucks. I tossed seven bucks in to get a music book download. Just, you know, to say, I believe in you. The actual, to get an actual Soundbop starter pack was 70 pounds, mm-hmm. which is roughly a hundred bucks. If my daughter were three or four years old, I probably wouldn't have thought twice. I would have said, yes, let's go. This is something perfect for her to play with and learn about music and and do it with. That's number one. Number two, that 70 pound level gets you seven notes. Mm -hmm. Seven notes. That doesn't go a real long way for me. I, I feel like I would want more notes. To get more notes, you could back at the 106-pound level, which turns into 147 uh, trump bucks, and that gets you 24 notes over two octaves and an advanced book, but at that point, you're also spending $150. And like we talked about today at lunch, at that point, I could probably buy her an entire Roland drum kit or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I, I, I couldn't do it. I honestly, really, really, really honestly, almost still backed it at the 70 pound level and was going to gift it to you <laughs> and Nathan so that Nathan can learn music. But uh, I, I love you. I love Nathan, but I just couldn't spend a hundred bucks on it. That would be very generous because I saw this project too and didn't even back it at that level for my (laughs) own son. Right. And then as I've thought about this more, I've had time to ruminate on it. Some of the things, I love the chord aspect. I love the note aspect. I, I feel like there's, it's imperfect because for instance, there's, uh, I haven't counted it. How many, how many places are there? There's eight, Seven, there's 15 places, uh, pegs okay. to place your notes. It doesn't matter where you place anything. Oh, right. Like you can put yep, anything I that anywhere. As well. And so you I put a high like pitch to the was, right 
Or yeah, you can put a high I, pitch to the left and a low pitch to the right, and it yes. doesn't match up against a keyboard. Yes. Yeah. I felt like there was a missed opportunity there to convey more information with the relative placement of things that I don't... Nothing in the campaign gives me any indication that that is part of it. It really feels like you can just... They're just places to put your notes and then you press them to sound them out. It doesn't matter where they are. And I feel like that's... I don't know how to rectify that. I don't even know that... Well, then again, I'm not a product designer, but it felt like a missed opportunity that 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 I felt could have been done better. So it's not perfect in that way. That's really my only real beef with it. The chord stacking, immediate, immediate love. Love it, love it, love it. Feel like it's a delight. But I still love the project. I think it's great. I really hope that they make it. This one has quite a bit of time to go. It closes on March 21st. So you've got uh, oh, probably a full three weeks to get in on this. I think it might make it. Uh, it's whenever I first saw it, they, they've got a $41,000 goal, which sounds weird, but bear in mind, it's something like, I think it's 30,000 pound goal. And they are, they are roughly mm, almost halfway there okay. with 26 days to go. And I've, whenever I first saw it, they were, I think, mm, maybe uh, two thirds of that way so they've they've gained some since i last saw it they they haven't plateaued so they could still make it and i really hope they do because i think i i again i love the passion of this guy (laughs) whenever he's presenting it you can tell he's Mm. worked on this he's had this idea and i think it's a fantastic idea i wish there were a little bit more done with the the positioning but overall out of the park with this product idea yeah and I was encouraged like by the idea and mission, too. I think it's really cool that they're so far along just with the design of the thing. This isn't just a bunch of chips and oh, wires yeah. hanging out of breadboards. Exactly. You know, like like you mentioned, it's got this nice molded plastic and mm-hmm. attention given to a kid-friendly industrial design. Yes. So, I mean, it looks like a product. It does. And I really hope they make it. Really, really, really do. So, take a look at it, guys. Especially... Any of our listeners with with young children really take a gander and get past my my blathering about <laughs> limitations. Get in there. So, so what did you find, my friend? Well, I backed this week a project called Miasma, the classic dual voice Eurorack synthesizer module. <laughs> That's good. I sound like it. You do. I bought it. It's it's me. Uh, it's not me. It's the Eurorack Eurorack synthesizer module. The miasma. So this wow, thing is wow. like a. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, what can I say about this thing? This is a little high quality, limited run, hand built, bespoke uh, artisanal product. From uh, it's a little synthesizer from Hales from Portland, Oregon, and this thing is using a reissued CEM thirty three forty IC chip. Mm. So this is like the little oscillator heart behind a lot of legendary synthesizers, and the company that has the rights to this thing has decided to reissue it, and I think that 
this has sort of spurred a little bit of a renaissance in mm. these analog synths. Right. And this company, Halcyon, that's putting forth this project, they've designed this miasma using this chip in a way where they think that they've explored some new ways, like innovative ways and in using this chip that haven't been done before. So I guess this project interested me mostly because I'm just kind of a sucker for synth pop and chiptune music. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I love New Order, for example, and all those great sounds, like these analog synth sounds that were happening late 70s, early 80s-ish. And I just kind of loved the mission, loved the idea so the device itself is this little, almost looks like a guitar pedal. I don't know if everyone out there is familiar with what these analog synthesizers look. Man, I don't know. But Have you seen many guitar pedals in your life? Because <laughs> I haven't seen have one I, with this many quarter-inch okay. inputs. Well, but I mean, about, about the size, right? Yeah, and, and like the, And the hardware you fit into it. Um, Holy crap. But the way you fit these things together, they go into a, a rack... And this one fits into a Euro rack, which is like a smaller size of synth rack. Ah. Uh. And it's it's one component in a big chain of how you make these electronic sounds. So you might have like an oscillator or timer that time you know ties in from one module to the next, and then drives certain sounds from one component to another. So I don't know a whole lot about it, and really that's why. I didn't back this for the unit itself because this isn't my hobby. But I, like I said, I just kind of loved this style of music that I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I thought, I think about, I thought that it was a, I thought it was something that needed to be, you know? Sure. So I kind of got in there at the $5. I support you guys. Mm-hmm. I would love a sticker. You get a sticker. The, the unit itself is like $350. Oh, Mamacita. Um, that pledge level. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, a little pricey for something that I don't have an entire Euro rack to plug it into at, at all. Right. So I, I think they are at just shy of $4,000 now on a $20,000 goal. Mm-hmm. And their project's closing up on Friday, March 16th. So they still have 21 days to go. And their backer levels, like I said, you can throw some throw some coin in at the $5 level and back them for some sticker. Stickers. A sticker? A um, sticker. Just to support, you know, modular analog sounds. They have this $12 pledge level for this little thing called a denormalizer. <laughs> I like it. Did you get a chance to see I that? I did, yeah. yeah. So this is just a little doodad that will plug in to, uh, I guess they're quarter-inch jacks, and it has a blue-red LED on it, <laughs> and it'll show active outputs and polarity by the color. So I think that would be something fun for people that build these <laughs> systems to just have that jammed in somewhere on their unit, blinking mm-hmm. away happily. And then, like I said, the next level up was their $350 pledge where you get the unit, and those are limited to the first run. And then the production model is $385. That's where the pledge level is. And then from there on, they go up to higher levels that basically group production models into larger packages. So if you wanted two or 10 or whatever. So that, that's kind of it. I think they're, one of the things they mentioned was they, they did this in a campaign update. And I, like going back to some of the things we talked about earlier, I wish more campaigns would interact with their backers with this kind of detail and transparency. Okay. So what I was going to say is one of the things they mentioned was they were cruising along. And in the first week, they felt like they were just 
attracting the sort of backer support they needed at a rate that they were going to be able to hit this pre-production goal of 50 units. And then they noticed their backer rate just dropped precipitously. It just hit zero. Mm. And I think you and I know that most campaigns achieve most of their funding in the opening and closing days of a campaign. And then they hit this lull in between. So there's kind of this pent up demand a lot of times right away. And then there's that lull where, you know, the, the rate at which new backers are coming on falls off. But then as you hit towards the end and people get fear of missing out as maybe some news outlets pick up, you know, your project and get some steam around it, you get a, like a last push influx. The last gasp. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that, but I think that they hit another run of bad luck, which they call the Walmart elephant. <laughs> and this is that Behringer, and I'm, you're probably familiar oh, yeah. with Behringer. Behringer is a pretty large, you say, audio company. They make all sorts of stuff, sure. mixers and components like this, uh, pedals, etc. And they announced a product called the Neutron. And this thing has dual CEM3340 chips in it. Mm. And their press release or guesstimate price was that this thing's going to hit a price point of $300. So I think that took some wind out of their sails. And Tom and Justin, the guys from Halcyon, they, they did take a moment to address the backers and address this Neutron thing and sort of spell out how their offering is different. You know, here's how our thing is different than this yeah. Behringer thing. And the first thing that they're doing to kind of, so they're saying that we're separate because, you know, we've already got a short run that's been done and we're ready to start filling our orders in pretty short order after the close. Whereas they posted an article written on Music Radar that was titled, Are We Fools to Believe Behringer's Neutron Analog Synth Will Ship in April for $300? And... That's interesting because that article brought up some points about another product Behringer had announced last year called the Behringer D. That thing was supposed to ship in September. Here we are about six months later almost, and that thing's still not widely available in stores. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, they're kind of saying you could hold out for this thing. It may be delayed. It may possibly never even be a thing. We We don't really know, right? And it's likely technically inferior to what we're producing. Absolutely. So they're saying we organize our product development around responding to our customers' needs and requests, not to press releases. So big companies like Behringer, you know, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and they're going to have to make promises or press releases like that. And we see that in the software industry all the time. Mm. So hopefully they can get some interest back in their I don't know. Yeah, back, get a little bit back of in the system here. Late right? momentum. Yeah. Yep. You know what? The backers will help. Well, that is it for technology category, Chris. Technology. G, G. The technology zone. Brian, this is our penultimate season one episode. I know. We've got one left. Listeners, thank you for joining us for this ride so far. We've got one more in the theater category. We'll see you in another two weeks. And uh, we... we Listen, should, this, is, this is not the end. No. It's well, just well, the no. end of... We're just closing up season one. Yeah, season one. We'll be <laughs> back for season two. That sounded two. so final. No. 
And, and you know what? It'll be it'll be even better. Yeah. I feel like it'll be even better. And we're not anticipating a big break, right, between seasons one and two? No. We're going to switch up the format. No longer than 18, 19 <laughs> months or so, just to, <laughs> just to rest the pipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. We'll, uh, we'll be back. Carry in, on with the same cadence, right? Probably. Yeah, yep. I don't know. We'll be back on the mics every um, two weeks. If you guys are listening, have feedback about the show. We'd love to hear it. Yep. If you love our yammering, shill us up on iTunes or something. I don't know. <laughs> are we supposed to say that? No. <laughs> I hate it when people say that. <laughs> so, all right. Next category is, you, did you say that? Theater. I'm just not paying attention. I it's did. Late. It's okay. Theater. Acting. Acting. Did you say what I said? <laughs> we both said it. Mother of God. How could we not? Yeah, it's true. All right, let's... Captain um, Jean-Luc Picard of USS Enterprise. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> it's oh, late. I don't know what's happening anymore. It's late. That's what's happening. Oh, <laughs> it is late. Let's close Get up. us home, my friend. Mm. Okay. That's all our time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time when we will be exploring and backing one campaign from Kickstarter's theater category. Acting. Backers is produced by Chris Rumpf and Brian Dupuis. You can find the show notes for this episode and our previous episodes at our website, backerspodcast.com. You can contact us on Twitter at, at backerspodcast or individually at Rumpfy and at Coldforged. Join us again next time, and until then back responsibly. <laughs>